Welcome to Let's Talk Loyalty, an industry podcast for loyalty marketing professionals. I'm your host, Paula Thomas, and if you work in loyalty marketing, join me every week to learn the latest ideas from loyalty specialists around the world. CM Group's virtual video conference about relationship marketing is available to watch on demand. Signals 22 explores the strategies essential to brands building long-lasting relationships with consumers. Watch as they cover topics ranging from acquisition and engagement to personalization and retention. For industries including retail, CPG, media and publishing, restaurants and QSR, and sports. Get inspired while learning new ideas from their client success stories, their thought leadership approach, and practitioner level sessions. You can watch all of this superb content right now or anytime at cmgroup.com. Hello and welcome to episode 309 of Let's Talk Loyalty. Today, I'm delighted to welcome back Mike Capizzi, the Dean of the Loyalty Academy, to share the latest Delphi report entitled The Future of Crypto Rewards. This report is the latest research produced by the Loyalty Academy, and it seeks to capture the insights and expertise of a global panel of loyalty industry experts on a key topic. In this case, the future of crypto rewards. As the research facilitator, Mike worked closely with BACT, the sponsors of the report, to explore key topics around the future potential for crypto rewards, the use cases it suits best, the industries and demographics it's most relevant for, as well as some fascinating geographic differences in the interest and adoption of this emerging asset class. I hope you enjoy listening and learning as much as I did from this global study with insights from 54 loyalty industry professionals. And I want to encourage you to let us know your comments and feedback in the show notes. All Let's Talk Loyalty podcasts are now being published with a dedicated link where you can quickly and easily add your comments or questions. I really want to hear your feedback on this topic to help us to continue to share and learn as a community of loyalty professionals. So please do visit the show notes after you listen and share your feedback with me. Now on with the show. So, Mr. Mike Capizzi, welcome back to Let's Talk Loyalty. Thank you for having me back, Paul. I always uh, appreciate your show and uh, and talking to you uh, about our favorite subject. Totally, totally. Well, we have quite a few favorite subjects now, in particular with the latest Delphi report on the future of crypto rewards uh, coming from your work with the Loyalty Academy. So, really exciting and very relevant topic for today's discussion. Uh, but before we get into that, Mike, as you know, I always like to ask my guests about their favorite loyalty programs, just to get a sense of what people are admiring or enjoying even in their own personal lives. So give us a sense, Mike, of uh, what would you say if I asked you what is your favorite loyalty program? 
Uh, Paul, I get asked that question a lot, and I always answer the exact same way. They're all my favorites. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I, I follow pretty much everything that goes on in loyalty marketing. So yeah. uh, there isn't one brand or one particular vertical market that I would uh, um, tend to give favoritism to. What mm. I do think is um, the kind of thing that resonates the most with me are programs that are continually uh, evolving. They're trying to add uh, new use cases. They're trying to add new rewards. They're trying to change the value proposition or the communications. They're constantly yeah. experimenting with uh, new systems, new techniques, new technologies in order to push their programs forward. Those are my favorites. Mm, it's a great answer. I do like that, actually, because um, there's no such thing as anything that stays still. And I think that's what inspires me, actually, about working in this industry, as well as, I suppose, the, the joy of feeling like you're doing something back for your members and for your customers. So I, I definitely agree that something that's evolving means you really have your customers' interests at heart. And I suppose trying to do do right by them over over time as things change. Definitely. So you have been on the show before, of course, Mike, talking about a number of different things. Um, but specifically, the Delphi report is one that um, I was really impressed when you introduced it to me as a very structured research framework, which I think today it actually would be very useful if you wouldn't mind just explaining a little bit of the methodology that you use before we actually get into the topic for today, Mike, because I think crypto rewards um, or anything crypto related is is really interesting. There's a lot of confusion, a lot of curiosity. So obviously you chose that topic for a very good reason and you have an amazing panel of people of which I'm privileged to be one uh, in terms of responding. So will you talk a bit about the framework first of all and the methodology that the Delphi report offers? Oh, sure thing. Um, this is our, uh, let's see, one, two, three. This is our fifth year, fourth report uh, we did not do a report during the um, the lockdown year. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Everything everything was screwed up that year. <laughs> we were <laughs> we all report. confused. <laughs> all right, but this is our our fourth report. The methodology is always the same. Delphi is a structured research technique that seeks to predict. And what it does is it gets a topic. It tries to narrow the definition uh, around that topic. Mm -hmm. It'll put it out to a group of people who are expert, um, professional expert in that individual in that field. Mm. And they'll ask those people to uh, kind of vet the topic, um, get it a little bit more um, defined again, a little bit more structured, and mm. then they'll put it out to a wider group of people, a panel of people, mm. and ask them about the future related to that topic. Mm. Uh, this particular year, the topic was crypto rewards. As you mm. mentioned, uh, a lot mm. of confusion, but yeah. also an awful lot of interest. And yeah. that's how the topic was picked. Um, in the end, there were 52 Delphi panelists who participated, including yourself. Mm -hmm. um, virtually all of them are from the certified loyalty marketing professional community, mm. um, the CLMPs, uh, as designated by the Loyalty Academy. Uh, yeah. They came from all regions of the world, mm. uh, and they are people with generally 10, 15, 20 or more years in loyalty marketing. Some mm. are from the brand side. Some are from the service provider side, um, but they're people who um, do loyalty for a living mm. uh, and they were in a good position to assess and offer their opinion about um, the future of crypto. Mm. 
Absolutely, yeah. And I think it's that global diversity uh, that really gives it that incredible perspective, Mike. So I always love seeing what's happening, for example, in the Middle East, where I'm based, versus Asia Pacific, because so much of what I see coming out is, you know, for one market. And of course, there's complexity and opportunity to research individual markets. So the fact that you're taking on a topic and giving it that global perspective is super exciting. And it's not the first time that you've addressed it. I know it was touched upon in the 2018 Delphi report. So will you tell us a bit about, uh, I suppose, what came out at that very early stage? Well, in 2018, the question was, what's the future of loyalty marketing going to look like? Okay. And it was kind of dribbled in the end. But one of the things <laughs> that came up was yeah. um, cryptocurrency. Okay. Uh, did it have a place in the future of loyalty? Mm-hmm. And at that time, most of the panel didn't think so. Mm-hmm. Um, those that did were still a little bit uncertain about what was going to happen. Now, this is 2018, four years sure. ago. Yeah. The interesting thing was people jumped on the blockchain. Mm. Uh, the uh, cryptocurrency world and crypto rewards um, will be enabled by blockchain technology. Mm-hmm. And in 2018, people were very excited about what the blockchain could do for loyalty, and it was dragging crypto forward, but mm. there was an awful lot of uncertainty and generally on the negative side. Mm. Fast forward to 2022, and mm. the world has changed. Mm. And in those four short years, the um, prevailing opinion about crypto rewards has shifted dramatically to the positive. Yeah, yeah. It is incredible, actually. And obviously, I've been reading through the report today, Mike, a couple of times in preparation The one statistic, actually, that the first one that jumped out was the fact that there is some data from, I believe, a company called Payments, which said that nearly one in four Americans had owned cryptocurrency at some point in their lives by January 2022, which absolutely astounded me. I I don't think I would have guessed it was nearly that high. Well, you're not alone. Um, What's interesting to us, and and Payments is um, highly respected. uh, source and yeah, we, we use a lot of their um, their research yeah. uh, in and around the loyalty academy. Mm. What, what's astounding to us mm. is that in in the grand scheme of global things, U.S. lags behind in this topic. They're definitely behind. Wow! Yet we've got a high preponderance of people, mostly young people, Paula. Yeah, who are. Uh, <clears throat> have experience firsthand with cryptocurrency. Mm. And the reason the U.S. is behind can be um, subject to argument, but Mm. it appears that um, the regulatory uncertainty over here and the way the news portrays cryptocurrency over here Mm. is uh, definitely something that have people worried and concerned. Mm. And uh, also the um, incumbent um, currency ecosystem uh, is yeah. extremely strong over here. Very, very, very strong. Yeah. And they're going to beat down and prevent the newcomer from yeah. uh, gaining a whole lot of ground. So yeah. you put those two factors together and given its size in terms of the loyalty marketplace globally, the mm. U.S. should be the leader and they're yeah. not. Yeah. So we find little small pockets geographically. Um Asia Pacific Mm -hmm. and the Middle East are the two that are called out in their report. Mm. Um, 
they are smaller loyalty markets globally in terms yeah. of their share of total loyalty dollars. Mm. Yet they're larger markets, uh, disproportionately higher in terms of crypto rewards. Mm. And um, they are young markets, so that helps. Mm -hmm. uh, but also they are markets of um, um, greater innovation and less incumbency pressure uh, yeah. than you'll see uh, in the U.S. So yeah. um, it uh, it was pretty interesting. Um, we've got people using, but um, we don't have a whole lot of um, sentiment yet for mm. uh, crypto rewards in the U.S. Some sentiment, but not as strong as it should have been. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Of course, Mike, that, um, you know, that level of maturity in the U.S. market is often a reason that I would, you know, really think, well, actually, you know, there's this perspective almost that if it's not broken, why try and fix it? So, you know, there is so much understanding and awareness and value, I guess, already in terms of how all of these loyalty programs have grown up over the last 30, 40, 50 years. So, you know, to bring in something that is, I think, still perceived as, as quite complicated, understanding potential use cases, which of course is what we're here to talk about today is one of our topics. You know, it really, it's it's not as compelling, I think, you know, when you guys are so, you know, clear in terms of how your programs work. But to your point about evolving loyalty programs, Mike, at the very start, I do think there's a lot of people will be listening to this show, will be curious to hear exactly, well, what kind of use cases, for example, what kind of demographics, like what should we be thinking about? So maybe I'll start by asking you then, what do you believe um, or what did the, the, the panelists believe might be the most compelling use cases for crypto rewards? Well, it's on the redemption side, Paula. Uh, we asked about um, crypto as an earning strategy, mm. um, and we asked about it as a promotional or incentive um, engagement-only um, strategy. And mm. uh, what came out on top was redemption. Um, now, some people believe that it can be used across all use cases. Okay. Uh, that was the highest level of response. So that would include earning, promotion, and redemption. Mm. Um, but as an individual strategy, um, the redemption was strongest, and some people felt both earning and redeeming crypto rewards would be a trend to watch in the future. Mm. But the uh, dominant use case when you add it all up is mm. on the redemption side. Okay. Okay. And would you say that surprised you, Mike, or would that have been, you know, what you were sensing from your own, I suppose, clients? It did not surprise me. Um there's an issue here with that on the earn side, and that is that the valuation of the cryptocurrency itself changes. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's changing all the time, uh, sometimes to the positive, sometimes to the negative. Mm. And it's difficult to peg um, the value of a point earned mm. uh, or a benefit earned when its valuation, underlying valuation is constantly changing. Sure. On the redemption side, we really don't have that issue. Uh, you redeem for a crypto, you put it in your account, and then, Paula, you take the risk or reward yeah. associated with its uh, ultimate valuation. That's a lot simpler proposition mm. yeah. um, for loyalty marketers. Yeah. And that really seemed to be what was coming through. And again, maybe surprisingly to me anyway, as part of the appeal. So whereas something like crypto, of course, has been on a roller coaster, I would say, certainly in the last 12 months, you know, it does seem to be that there's more potential or more perception, let's say, of upside from, you know, what you're hearing from the panelists? Uh, that was uh, a little bit um, um, surprising. 
yeah. uh, for some people, but very mm -hmm. loud and clear. And we looked at it carefully and spoke in depth with uh, quite a few people. And the uh, the reasons are, uh, once again, they're they're varied. Uh, mm. Paul, if I issue you a frequent fire mile, mm. um, you earned it because you flew from um, Dubai to uh, Paris, uh, sure. to Dublin, probably, where you usually go. <laughs> and uh, you earned these these miles and they go into your account, right? Yeah. There's always the possibility that there's devaluation of that mile. Always. Mm. Yeah. This has been the history of our industry. And yeah. it isn't just airlines and hotels. Mm. Uh, almost every vertical market has devalued their currency at some point or another. Yeah. And especially in the last couple of years, there have been very um, prominent publicized cases of devaluation of that currency. Yeah. So it never goes up in value. Mm. It only goes down. Mm. Now, enter crypto. It can go either way. Mm. It can go down. Yes. In fact, <laughs> the last year it has. Mm. Uh, but it also can go up. And you remember when it was rising like dramatically in 20 and 21. Sure. Um, that the um, publicity uh, around the rise of, say, a Bitcoin yeah. um, or an Ethereum currency, that the publicity was unbelievable. Yeah. And people were just rushing in to buy it because <laughs> it's just, it's just going to go, keep going up and up and up. So yeah. there is a lingering perception that it can increase in its value. So if I give you the opportunity to redeem mm -hmm. for crypto, just like you can redeem for travel or mm -hmm. merchandise or a gift card yeah, um, or cash back, mm -hmm. all those are all options. They mm -hmm. don't have a um, potential yeah. to increase in value. In fact, yeah. they have a potential to decrease in value. So mm -hmm. that's, a, but the public understands that um, according to the panel, uh, this would be an interesting question to ask consumers. Mm. Uh, but it uh, appears that uh, because of that upside potential, mm. uh, people are interested and they'll take it, put yeah. it in their account and keep their fingers crossed. After all, it was free. Yeah. Like all, you know, hard benefits and loyalty. It yeah. was free. You got <laughs> it for shopping with a brand. They gave mm. it to you. You put it in your account and keep your fingers crossed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was a good quote, actually. There was a specific one in there, Mike, which I liked, which it says, loyalty programs are the perfect way for people to get into cryptocurrency without the reservations they might have from putting their own funds into the vehicle. So if it's a loyalty earned crypto or loyalty redeemed crypto, it's likely to be perceived as free reward. So so they get all of the, the benefits of the volatility, I guess, without, uh, you know, risking their own money. Definitely. And you'll see that, especially among certain demographics. For sure. For sure. Talk us through the demographics. I know you you were quite surprised at, uh, you know, exactly who was coming through. Tell us about who was most interested. Well, we would have all voted or felt that millennials um, would be the um, obvious ones. Demographic yeah. cohort that yeah. would be uh, most likely to be an early adopter of crypto rewards. They finished second. Um, mm. Gen Z uh, surpassed them by a significant margin, yeah. um, and that surprised us. And the reason is that the spending power of Gen Z yeah. and the participation rate in loyalty marketing programs for Gen Z is still low, mm. much lower than Gen X, much low, much, much lower than baby boomers and lower than millennial. Mm. Um, and the reason is they don't yet have the established shopping patterns yeah. or um, the amount of um, dollars um, to spend 
shopping, and they they're kind of never been fond of the um, traditional approaches in loyalty marketing anyway. Mm-hmm. So that kind of surprised us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, every year they have more earning power, more spending power than they had the year before. Yeah. Uh, every year, um, their lifestyle is subject to typical generational change mm-hmm. um, because uh, of you know of the age that they're at. So um, they're going to keep marching forward. Uh, and it looks like uh, they will be the group, according to the panel, mm. who will lead this charge along with the millennials who are already engaged with uh, some mm. of this behavior. Yeah, I think it actually does make sense. But again, with the benefit of hindsight, you know, it's always easy, easy to understand why it came through that way. But as I think it through, you know, I think this generation, as you said, have never been completely enamored, first of all, because they haven't been um, in a position to be rewarded, as you said, because of their spend. But I also often think that um, some of our traditional mechanics, of course, the usual points, for example, I, I'm wondering if if Gen Z is feeling a bit jaded by that model, like having seen their parents go through it and maybe heard some frustrations over the years. You know, there's plenty of times I think we've all expressed frustration that we haven't had the opportunity to earn maybe quickly enough. So there's plenty of challenges that traditional loyalty has. So I'm wondering if they're seeing this kind of crypto reward option as being like actually the answer to something that does make sense to them. I think that was very well expressed. And I believe that that is uh, happening definitely in the background. The okay. issue, Paula, is as they mature. Yeah. As they move through their life stage, will their attitude change? Yeah. And of course. Uh, we don't know the answer to that. We won't know that that answer for I'd say at least another 10 years. Mm. But that that's exactly what it is. They are very jaded. Okay. They don't want to jump through any hoops. Yeah. Um, they're concerned about the whole privacy thing. Yeah. Uh, but the biggest reason is they don't spend enough money mm. yet to develop something meaningful in the way of reward, given yeah. what brands um, across the world are offering with, with weak value propositions, you're not mm. going to catch this audience. Also, they are all digital all the time. Yeah, of course. And we don't always have, um, the most digital friendly methods mm-hmm. in terms of, uh, enrollment, earning, identification, redemption, all the other things, communications, all the things that go along with, um, best yeah. practice in loyalty yeah. marketing. Absolutely. And that leads actually very well, I think, Mike, into, I suppose, the type of verticals um, where it might make the most sense to think about crypto rewards. Because as we all know, if there's an opportunity to join a coalition program um, or a multi-merchant program, there's obviously much, you know, bigger opportunity and greater speed to earn. So I was pleased to see that coming through as as the one that um, was most likely to be relevant in this space. And then I was certainly very surprised to see financial services coming in second place in terms of what kind of market might um, might be appropriate. So what was your uh, reaction to seeing the, the types of verticals that might benefit from this strategy? Well, the coalition uh, multi-merchant was uh, not surprising. Yeah. Um, the the um, Presence of so many non-U.S. people on the panel um, helped drive that number forward. Uh, it was the number one um, uh, vertical in terms of a weighted average. Yeah. Um, but the um, and you, you said it right. You can earn uh, rapidly across multiple uh, categories 
who are members of the coalition. And um, that's really the key to their model. Mm. We don't have that model to any strength at all in the U.S. We have it in Canada yeah. and, of course, around the world, but we don't have it uh, in the U.S. Um, yeah. So that number probably would have been even higher mm. um, because we did have, you know, American um, respondents on the panel. Mm. Um, financial services was not a surprise to me. I thought it would have been first or second. Okay. And the reason, Paul, is that the last couple of years have seen an increase in the cash back approach. Financial okay. services traditionally allowed you to earn points and you redeem those points for either travel or merchandise. Mm -hmm. um, that was the prevailing model and still is in many parts of the world. Yeah. Both of those things cost too much money, mm. um, especially when the financial services, especially credit card rewards, were always governed by uh, how much money could be made by the issuer mm. uh, from interchange. Mm -hmm. Well, most of the world, interchange is under attack. Sure. Already changed in the UK, Australia, New Zealand. Yeah. New Zealand just very recently mm. and other parts of the world. And as the amount of spread that the issuer can make from interchange declines, yeah. his reluctance to fund more rewards uh, intensifies. Mm. And uh, travel, uh, buying miles, if you will, from an airline or buying nights from a hotel, um, yeah. always an attractive reward, but now it's costing him more money and he's making less on interchange. And merchandise, uh, it's also costing him more money uh, mm. because of shipping and handling and other kinds of things. Mm. So cash back or gift card mm -hmm. have uh, picked up steam in that vertical. And now crypto mm. can be a challenge to cash back because mm -hmm. it looks just like it. But it has the potential, as we discussed, mm -hmm. to increase in value over time. Yeah, I just wanted to actually just ask you, Mike, because I did a little bit of work um, with one of the banks back in Ireland. Now, this was back in 2016, 2017. But f to me, the level of uh, risk aversion from, you know, the, the various people in, in at all different levels within the bank, like any loyalty proposition that we talked through, the various mechanics, it was all fear-based. You know, they really were so risk averse. And I guess that's why why I was surprised to see that crypto would resonate for them. Well, I think that's a good point. And I, I think it also depends on what part of the world you're in. Yeah. Um, uh, it, they're less, less risk averse in um, more emerging uh, markets than yeah. they are in well-established markets like the UK sure. um, or, the, or the US. Yeah. Um, but I think, Paula, that they've realized that their model of benefit was always based on interchange funding. Of course. And as that funding is under attack and, and continues to decline, they've got yeah. to do something. Yeah. Plus, all their programs look the same. Yes, that's true. <laughs> How do you separate one credit card rewards program from another? Yeah. And debit isn't even used in many parts of the world because there is no interchange left, yeah. according to the banks. So mm. um, they will make profit no matter what. That is their model. That's what they love about rewards. Yeah. So they've got to find a way. And despite their aversion to risk, uh, crypto rewards could be the way of the mm. future, especially in certain markets. Yes, and especially to the demographics that they most need to get uh, the, the right behaviors from. Definitely. Mm. The, uh, the other vertical market that scored really high was entertainment. And, um, you know, that might mean different things to different people. Yeah. But um, it um, it scored really high. And in fact, it's the market where we see the most experimentation. 
Okay. Uh, if you read The Wise Marketer and you look at our stories about crypto rewards, you'll find that that vertical market, um, uh, as well as, say, the restaurant vertical market, mm. um, are the two where you see uh, an awful lot of experimentation. But entertainment's broad. Mm. Um, it includes um, all forms of digitally delivered entertainment, which could be directly to the home. Okay. It includes all forms of venue entertainment, um, mm-hmm. music, um, concert um okay. ballet uh whatever yeah. kind of arts are out there it also includes sports mm. and uh many people in the panel called out sports and uh some people put it in other some people put it in entertainment mm. um but you're seeing a lot going on there already most of it on the nft side yeah. as opposed to pure crypto rewards yeah but the reason it makes sense um is demographic um, people who are into that particular vertical market mm. with a disproportionately higher frequency or spend are definitely younger. Yeah. Um, you know, you and I, Paula, despite our love of music or theater, we don't yeah. go as often as maybe we used to. Sure. Um, our lives are just too busy or we don't want to deal with the hassle of the crowds or whatever. Yeah. yeah. But uh, there's people out there, young people who would go to a sporting event every Sunday or every, every weekend, or go to a concert once a month, et cetera. So their yeah. frequency and their spend is much higher. Mm. So their ability to earn crypto rewards will be um, sufficient enough to uh, make it attractive to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes sense. Perfect sense. Absolutely. Yeah. And the sport one is where I am certainly hearing, as you mentioned, more NFT type activity rather than necessarily crypto. Uh, But there's more and more coins coming through. And I suppose my understanding is slowly, slowly catching up with all the various options. But it does seem to be, you know, a cohort of people that are, you know, happy to engage in that kind of behavior, you know, because they are passionate about something. And therefore, I suppose that, you know, again, halo effect of what crypto can bring probably has an extra appeal that they might just be more open to yeah also you know we're gonna maybe see a team issue their own coin okay that would be exciting yeah yeah absolutely my goodness sounds like you have some inside track knowledge there mike <laughs> uh, well we're, we're we're watching um, there, sure. are, there are some teams especially coming out of the uk or the soccer community yeah you guys call football <laughs> uh, red hot right now in your part of the world. There are sure. some teams that have already issued NFTs. Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, but I think you'll see a movement to issue coin yeah. because it could be kind of a collection thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so not only can it be a reward, but can it also be a currency? For sure, for sure. And I did uh, have one on the show recently as well, Mike, um, somebody I used to work with, but a fantastic app called Sweatcoin. So I'll make sure we link to it in the show notes. I'm sure it came up in your discussions, but incredibly impressive to see, you know, a a digital health-based application driving behavior of, you know, walking and, and, and really just getting people moving. And, you know, then there's an option, obviously, to to, to claim rewards, uh, but they also have issued a coin as well. So I haven't explored that piece now personally. But um, again, I love this opportunity to, you know, start experimenting. And I think that's a key word that came through, certainly again in this report, which we'll talk about now in a second. But it feels like we all need to, I suppose, as consumers, you know, learn what it feels like to earn a crypto reward ideally before we can even understand as a loyalty professional how would that apply in a loyalty program that i'm running well said mm. 
And tell me then, just before we leave the, the verticals, Mike, what about uh, travel? Of course, we know how you know well-established our, our airline and hotel friends are. So what's the appetite there, do you think, in terms of crypto rewards? It was kind of in the middle of the pack, Paula. It was better, a little bit higher than specialty retail. Uh, and it was definitely higher than restaurant, but well below entertainment, uh, financial, and, and multi-merchant. Mm. Um, couldn't really assess um, the middle of the road other than, uh, again, you're going to hear this all the time, Paula. Um, the preponderance of people who are highly engaged in travel loyalty programs are baby boomers. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. It's because of their business travel and their personal travel and their discretionary income. It makes perfect sense. Yeah, And they grew up with frequent fire programs. That's what started our industry, uh, if sure. you really think about it. Yeah, You don't find a whole lot of young people with lots of frequent fire miles or frequent guest points. Yeah. Uh, it's just because they don't travel that much yet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as they mature uh, mm -hmm. and as their careers take off, they mm -hmm. will travel more. You got to remember, too, that COVID put a big, big hole in yeah. this entire business for about two years where nobody traveled at all. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think the appeal, again, relates to demographic. Mm -hmm. And um, the baby boomer, uh, mm -hmm. he's not uh, actually fond of crypto rewards. Give me my miles. Yeah. Uh, give me yeah. my points. Totally. Uh, yeah, that's what I want. And uh, the younger person says, I'll never get there. I'll never get enough miles to uh, redeem for a free trip. So mm. why bother giving me crypto? Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And then we talked a bit already, Mike, about uh, different areas of the world. Um, exciting to see, I suppose, Asia Pacific coming through as the top region that seems most interested. And not surprising to see my friends in, uh, in Europe lagging way down. So was any of this surprising to you in terms of the geographical uh, appetite? Yeah, it, it was. Because you got to remember, Paula, that this should follow uh, loyalty market share globally. Sure. Because uh, you're asking people what region will likely uh, adopt as a future strategy. Mm -hmm. And it, the region that has the most loyalty programs, the most loyalty spending should come out on top. And that region would be North America. And yeah. it came in second. And good thing that Canada um, is included. Because uh, okay. we, we had Canadian panelists, of course, as well as American panelists. Yeah. Uh, and um, um, the um, presence of those four or five Canadian panelists might have boosted it by a few points. So Asia Pacific came in first. So you got to remember, you got North Americans mm -hmm. and Europeans mm -hmm. and uh, people from the Middle East, North Africa region voting for Asia Pacific. So it was yeah. disproportionately high yeah. to their share of the global loyalty marketplace. Mm. Um, it, it is a, a factor of, again, um, the age of the population, mm. the newness and innovation associated with their loyalty programs, yeah. the unprecedented adoption of digital technology. Sure. Uh, remember, many of these brands over there never went through a phase one yeah. or a loyalty 1.0. Yeah. Uh, they went right immediately to loyalty 3.0. Mm. And uh, because of that, they didn't have to deal with these legacy um, yeah. traditions and systems. Uh, mm -hmm. that were typical in um, other parts of the world. Mm -hmm. um, as for Europe, um, sad, Paula, just totally sad. <laughs> oh, yes. I mean, and I've it, been, it's, yeah. it's, the panelists believed that there's high perceived risk uh, in Europe because of overregulation. Yeah. Um, when you read news stories about crypto, not to mention crypto rewards in Europe, it's a negative story. 
Yeah. And it's somebody in Brussels at the EU saying, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. So mm. a lot of brands are going to shy away from that environment until it stabilizes. Yeah. Um, and we had a lot of European panelists who voted elsewhere. Um, mm. Middle East, Latin American, higher than their market shares. Again, Middle East, is a, um, about 15% felt it was the number one region in the world. Mm. And in terms of loyalty market share, it's well below 10. So mm. again, disproportionately higher. Uh, and Latin America, not too bad at all, mm. um, are around 10%. So you're yeah. going to see differences in rates of adoption by geographic market. And if you're a brand who um, um, sells your goods and services in more than one region of the world, you mm. may have to adopt different strategies or at different times yeah. than if you are um, a brand that operates in a single in a single region. But if you're yeah. not paying attention to what is happening in places like Asia Pacific or the mm. Middle East, mm -hmm. um, you need to be paying attention. Uh, listen to Paula Schill, that'll help you. Uh, mm -hmm. Read The Wise Marketer, that'll help you. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, Check out um, the blogs and um, some of the other um, uh, sources of news and information about the loyalty business. Mm. And you'll see little um, examples of crypto popping up, uh, crypto rewards popping up here or there and that will help you. For sure, for sure. And I liked the quote as well towards the end of the report um, coming from one of your UK panellists where, you know, the guys shared that 10% um, of British adults have expressed an interest in receiving crypto from loyalty programs. So probably, long, pardon me, probably less than I would have expected um, given that I would tend to think that the UK market is quite savvy as well. So I don't know, did that strike you, Mike, as being lower than you might expect from you know a consumer demand perspective no that was from the YouGov report um mm. was done earlier in 2022 they put out good stuff sure uh one of our panelists uh loyalty academy faculty member uh charlie hills who i think you know of course um, works, works with YouGov on all their loyalty research initiatives yeah and it, it did not surprise me um the um uh, it's been a difficult year for people in the uk yeah, um, that's been political instability uh, yeah. all over the place. And um, it's been uh, rough economically, uh, a lot of different fronts. So it's like, once again, during 2022, the value of crypto in the news just declined every day. Yeah. yeah. Eventually bottomed out and stabilized, which is kind of where we're at right now, I think. Yeah. But it's still, you know, when it goes down, Paul, it's front page news. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And, and uh, the Brits don't like that, especially. Yeah. Um, so in a tough economic environment, it um, isn't as high yeah. as people might think it would be. But there are people who are expressing an interest in it. Yeah, for sure. And you definitely said in the report, of course, quite clearly that, you know, depending on how the whole crypto industry performs, of course, there is then, I suppose, the halo effect in the loyalty industry. If, for example, Bitcoin does take off again and do another hockey stick, then, of course, the demand will suddenly go up from members. But, yeah, it takes time for that, you know, to, to really settle in. And as you said, it's not a good year in the UK, for example, to be thinking about one more thing to worry about in terms of your rewards portfolio, for example, as distinct from something that you might know and understand, like a points-based uh, coalition program. Right. Or give me cash back so I can pay my utility bill. Totally. Totally. Yeah. 
And then listen, what um, what did you um, conclude in terms of, you know, the value for crypto rewards, you know, and what they can do for a brand, you know, because obviously we tend to focus on retention from a loyalty perspective, but sometimes loyalty initiatives can also support the, the acquisition of customers. So what do your panelists think about uh, the most value and opportunity lies? I was definitely outvoted on this one, Paul. Uh, <laughs> I, um, I, just, I grew up thinking and seeing and measuring and analyzing loyalty programs, mm-hmm. and acquisition was never a um, a strong reason for getting into a loyalty initiative. Yeah, um, you didn't acquire new customers because you introduced a rewards program. The yeah. exception, of course, was coalition, uh, yeah. where a different kind of network effect can help you acquire. Mm. Um, so I never believed it. Uh, the panelists felt that because crypto has got a um, a certain cachet about it, if you will, mm-hmm. um, that it could be um, a way for a brand to acquire a new customer, especially if that brand needs a better penetration among younger cohorts. So while they voted engagement higher uh, than acquisition as a pure benefit for the brand, mm-hmm. um, they thought that both were definitely um, the highest use case. Um, so yeah. whether it's going to be used to acquire mm-hmm. new people into the brand through the rewards program mm-hmm. or to engage and reward existing customers or both of those, mm. um, all that looked uh, very positive. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And it was also very positive to see the the potential for a halo effect back to the brand as well. Yeah, um, uncertainty. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, more than half the panel said maybe. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> But yes, there will be a halo effect that's positive back to the brand was two to one over and over. won't be yeah. uh, two to one, a uh, pretty strong, mm. but uh, you'll notice once again, um, the panelists expressing their level of uncertainty about the future. Um, so it's a, it's a maybe. Mm. Yeah. 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 No, the future uh, is definitely one where I think everybody's just trying to, you know, I suppose, get beyond wait and see, get into, I suppose, experimentation seems to be the the main, you know, opportunity in the next, I suppose, short term future. So um, so tell us a bit about what we should be expecting from a future perspective with cryptocurrencies. Well, when when the advisory group vetted the uh, actual questions, um, we spent a lot of time on this. Mm. And we said, you know, we, we need to ask people in a quantitative sense what the future is going to look like. Mm. And um, we decided that that need to be split into into two time frames, because, you know, what's the future? Is the future tomorrow? Yeah. Um, or is the future, you know, two years away or, or what? So when we asked that, uh, we asked it on a scale of uh, zero to two years. Mm-hmm. Um, we'd like to know where you believe crypto will be zero to two. Mm-hmm. And the overwhelming response was experimentation yeah on uh, certain brands certain markets certain geographies would yeah. be experimenting with crypto rewards between now and two years yeah when we move that um to um uh three to five years mm-hmm. um it shifted uh and permanent adoption uh among specific programs um became the number one answer almost half the panelists said yeah. there would be permanent adoption within three to five, but yeah. experimentation was still there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the number of people that said, you know, impact not proven, mm. still nascent, isn't going anywhere. 
mm-hmm. um, was always, you know, 5%. It didn't really matter. There's mm-hmm. people that don't believe in this, um, no matter what you do. Sure. And um, I, I think that's good for mm-hmm. the uh, zero to two versus the three to five findings in the mm-hmm. report, mm-hmm. I think are uh, a very positive uh, message for the crypto rewards industry. Yeah. And actually, you know, zero to two years actually is quite a short time frame. I think certainly from my experience of, you know, designing and building programs, it can often take that much time, you know, to get, you know, to, to the starting point. So, you know, with 80% coming through as experimenting within zero to two years, I was very inspired by that. I think that shows a big appetite, a big curiosity and a willingness, obviously, to go and put some investment into it to exactly see, do we want to do something permanently? So I thought that was incredibly positive. I, I thought so too. And it outweighs, um, as the report indicates, it outweighs all mm. the um, negative sentiment um, yeah. that, that often appears uh, around this topic. Yeah. And the the um, the consumer adoption, uh, well, we asked the panel, you know, what's going to drive consumer adoption here? Yeah. And, you know, the thing that emerged strongest is that there needs to be an improvement in consumer perception about crypto in general, not just crypto rewards, yeah. but about cryptocurrency. Yeah. Because consumer perception and understanding of safety or you know fungibility or trust, yeah, uh, protection, um, it's all over the place. Mm. You know, look at any consumer survey regarding the subject, and people just they're uncertain. Mm. And when a consumer is uncertain, they have a tendency not to act. Yeah. So they're not exactly dragging it forward. But mm. if there are improvements in consumer perception, the mm. adoption of this type of reward is going to accelerate dramatically. That yeah. was our conclusion. Yeah. And I think what you also emphasized in the report as well, Mike, very clearly, and it would be one of my, I suppose, favorite uh, opportunities, let's call it, as an entire industry, is the importance of education. Um, And, uh, you know, it really seems that in this, you know, relatively complex topic, um, the brands that do invest in that education for their members are the ones that could really, I suppose, benefit by giving that um, understanding as well as reward, I guess. Yeah, I think the um, uh, the message there was uh, um, kind of directed at the service provider, Paula. Okay. Um, yeah, the brand, of course. Mm. But um, the quote in the report was, you know, brands may not be asking about crypto rewards today. Got it. But they will be soon. Yeah. So rather than wait for the client request, service yeah. providers and consultants should take a leadership position and okay. help brands assess the crypto rewards concept right now. Okay. Um, you need to educate your clients if you're Got a service it. provider. Mm. You need to educate your management okay. uh, if you're brand marketing. Because mm. if you don't do that, they're going to be left to the whims of the mass media, mm. which one day are like, oh, this stuff continues to go up in value. And the next day they're like, this is the worst idea in the world. <laughs> but a hack over here. Yeah. Uh, the government's going to regulate us. Uh, woe is me, the sky is falling, you know, all the typical stuff. Sure. So I think that um, you need to be out front. And the group that I think should help lead is as the loyalty service provider, the loyalty consultant. Got it. Yeah. 
Yeah. No, thank you for clarifying that actually, Mike, because uh, I had read it as, I suppose, the programs educating their members. Um, but you're right, actually, it was very much around within the industry um, to create this level of awareness. So, you know, for people building programs, of course, we look to our partners, we look to our consultants, we look to people like you and I, where, you know, we have an opinion and obviously we're trying to educate ourselves and each other. So I, I do think there's a huge role to play. So, um. Yeah, you're right. The media plays a huge role and the industry plays a huge role. So a lot of work to be done is what I'm thinking, huh? Yeah, and the brand needs to make sure that their um, their consumer marketplace is uh, uh, being told positive things, not just negative things. Yeah. Um, and, and the brand needs to kind of constantly reinforce that. Um, yeah. What's interesting is that some brands don't really need to do that because their demographic target uh, matches up nicely. Some other brands just yeah. run away, run away from it because that's not their target audience. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But what I think is also helping, I suppose, overall. So crypto is obviously one element within the whole Web 3.0 space. And I think it's really exciting to see what brands like Starbucks, for example, are doing in using, you know, adjacent um, thinking and methodologies and NFTs, for example. So, you know, to me, that really makes it mainstream and the underlying tech then becomes more um, acceptable, I think, to people. And then crypto becomes just part of that overall infrastructure by association almost. So I might be oversimplifying it, but I think when a mainstream brand is getting into very highly evolved and innovative models, I think more and more other brands get uh, a bit more courage to try and experiment as well. I believe that that is uh, definitely true. Mm -hmm. um, they always get, you know, front page coverage, uh, whatever they do. Yeah. And, and they're a global brand, Paul. They're, you know, people think of them as an American brand, do not. Yeah. Uh, they've got presence all over the world. Yeah. And very strong sales in non-US markets. Of course. Um, so I, I think that that globalness yeah. um, helps them see what's going on in different parts of the world. Yeah. And uh, uh, they certainly cater to a younger demographic. Um, you know, people my age do not pay five US dollars for a cup of coffee. <laughs> You're better off, Mike. You and me both. <laughs> Makes perfect sense. So listen, I think uh, we've gone through everything in the report in terms of the questions I had, Mike. Is there anything else that you think was was super important to, to mention before we wrap up? Yeah, I just, uh, you know, want to go through some of the key conclusions. And uh, I want to say one other thing, too. Uh, you yeah. mentioned this, Paula, but as crypto, the yeah. currency itself, as it grows in prominence, so yeah. too with crypto rewards. Mm -hmm. uh, brands who know that they cater to a certain demographic audience should already be adopting. Yeah. Uh, so they need to know and understand that target. Most brands do. Mm -hmm. um, so if it skews young, uh, millennial and, and Gen Z, you should yeah. already be adopting. Yeah. And I think it'll be redemption. Um, and you can already put it in there. And that's how you can experiment right now today. Just put it in your redemption catalog, if you will, and see what happens. Yeah, uh, we talked about the brand's going to start asking, so the industry better start leading and educating and responding. Yeah, and uh, that it's clear to us and to the panel that mm. the vertical markets and geographic regions will be different in terms of their rate of uh, of adoption. Yeah. Uh, the last thing I want to say, Paul, is none of this would have been possible without the uh, research team and management team at Backed. Uh, okay. If you don't know Backed, look them up. Mm -hmm. um, they're the leader in, in crypto redemption right now. U.S. company 
Mm -hmm. Um, Very, very strong in this space. Mm -hmm. A lot of use cases. Um, There's somebody who decided to um, support the Delphi panel project Mm -hmm. um, and helped us kind of shape some of the questions and some Mm -hmm. of the understandings. Mm-hmm. So uh, we are indebted to the, to their support uh, to make this project happen. And uh, we'll be back next year with uh, Delphi 2023. Amazing. And of course, we will make sure to link to BACT as well, B-A-K-K-T, for anybody who's interested in exploring that. And I guess the most important thing is people looking to download the report and thewisemarketer.com, I guess, is the best place. Is it, Mike, for them to find best it? place, totally free. Yes. Uh, at Wise Marketer, if it's not on the homepage, um, you'll find it under the uh, drop down for research services. Yeah. Um, Paula, thank you as always. Uh, you're doing a great job for our industry, and uh, we uh, always uh, are interested in who you're going to interview next and what are they going to talk about. <laughs> totally. You know, it keeps me on my toes, Mike. What can I tell you? <laughs> keeping keeping the content coming as you guys do so well as well. So listen, it's always a joy to have you on the show, Mike. I always learn so much. Um, and I, I tend to listen back a few times after I've had you on just to capture everything. There's so many nuggets of wisdom. So with all of that said, I want to thank you for the incredible work on the 2022 Delphi report. So Mike Capizzi, Director of Education for the Loyalty Academy, thank you so much from Let's Talk Loyalty. Thanks, Paul. Take care. This show is sponsored by The Wise Marketeer, the world's most popular source of loyalty marketing news, insights, and research. The Wise Marketeer also offers loyalty marketing training through its Loyalty Academy which has already certified over 245 executives in 27 countries as certified loyalty marketing professionals. For more information, check out thewisemarketeer.com and loyaltyacademy.org. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Loyalty. If you'd like us to send you the latest shows each week, simply sign up for the Let's Talk Loyalty newsletter on letstalkloyalty.com and we'll send our best episodes straight to your inbox. And don't forget that you can follow Let's Talk Loyalty on any of your favorite podcast platforms. And of course, we'd love for you to share your feedback and reviews. Thanks again for supporting the show.